You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeremy Lassen of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. My pleasure. Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about Nightshade Books. You guys have been undergoing a lot of changes of late. Tell us what's up with Nightshade Books. Well, we just um, went through a a very um, successful year and rough year last year. Um, We had a couple of our best successes ever, but we also had a number of titles that were were late and didn't come out on time. And... um, Basically, uh, my business partner and I fired ourselves because we <laughs> were not getting books out on time and things were not happening. So um, come, I guess, uh, the beginning of March now, we hired two new people, um, brought, them, brought them on board my nightshade, and um, we're, we've just gone through a backlog of almost 20 titles that had been late and um, have gotten them out, have gotten them to the printer. Um, they've either already shipped or shipping, so... It was kind of like a big um, addressing a structural situation that had been um, broken for a while um, and and fixing it. Now, uh, Nightshade uh, ships, I think, two distinctly different sorts of uh, books. On one hand, you have some of your reprints of the classic uh, works of horror and and science fiction. I'm thinking of your fabulous uh, Clark Ashton Smith series and, um, oh, God, we had our William Hope Hodgson, William Hope. Clark, Clark Ashton Smith. Right, right. And, and those are those are, are wonderful books, and, but that's a kind of a very different publishing process and, and you know, obtaining that process uh, than some of your more current books, like uh, the latest uh, mass market paperback, uh, Mark Teppo's Light Breaker. So tell us a little bit about the differences between, say, uh, publishing the final volume of Clark Ashton Smith's books or William Hope Hodgson's books and uh, trying to crank out a mass market paperback uh, for all the busy mommies to read. <laughs> well, they both actually, um, like you say, are very different. They both have their very unique challenges. Um, like, we just finally got out the fifth volume of the William Hope Hodgson series, um, and that in- involved tracking down a bunch of stories that basically hadn't been reprinted since, you know, they were published at the turn of the century. And, you know, that, was a, that entire series was a massive undertaking. And it involved working with several other editors in the field and, um, you know, people helping out. And it was, it was a much more collaborative process. Um, now, also, those, those books are limited edition hardcovers. Sans DJ, am I correct? Um, they're not technically limited. Um, mm-hmm. They have a relatively small print run. Um, mm-hmm. The print run was usually between 1,500 and 2,000 copies. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The, the Hodgsons and the Wellmans did not have a dust jacket, mm-hmm. and um, the Clark Ashton Smith um, did have a dust jacket. Um, it was really the our, our classic line really kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a a conscious um, decision to where we sat down and was like, hey, let's do a line that's um, a bunch of classics, but rather it was um, one of our first commercial successes mm-hmm. was our Manly Wade Wellman series, mm-hmm. and that. Um, Oh, ugly bird! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, 
the Silver John stories, mm-hmm. uh, the John the Dal- Balladeer stories. Um, that was all the volume five. Um, but that started out just as a, 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 a recognizing that something was missing um, in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Nothing by Manly Wade Wellman was in print at the time. Mm-hmm. And the cheapest used books you could get were, you know, ex-library copies that were going for three or $400 on the collectibles market. And there was just no way that a new generation of readers could even find his material because it was, it was all out of print and highly collectible. And so we, you know, we did what we thought was very cynical at the time. We were like, okay, well, we're going to do a, a shorter print run. We're going to do it without a dust jacket um, because, you know, this is going to be a limit. We have to cut our costs because it's going to be a limited market. And so we raised the cover price, and um, we were doing it just as a, a sense of, you know, keeping keeping his work available, and we didn't think of it as a... You know, uh, we didn't think that was going to be our first really successful, you know, commercial project, but it turned out it was. Um, recognizing that that um, niche was not being served, um, and and bringing that product, you know, bringing a comprehensive product, the five volumes set of his weird fiction, um, turned out there was a big market for it. Well, now I big re- ask... big relative to you know, um, you know, small press terms, now... and that's a completely different thing compared mm-hmm. to our mass market paperbacks. Uh, can I can I ask? It seems to me that uh, these these complete sets of short stories by these classic authors um, would make a final purchases for libraries. Libraries and every library system should have at least one set of these volumes out there. Uh, can you talk? Do you try to market this stuff to libraries? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that was our original goal. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one reason why we went hardcover with no dust jacket was um, well, we'll sell it to the libraries. And that did turn out to be the case. One of the, you know, one of our main early successes was getting coverage in in the trade journals like Publishers Weekly and Booklist and Library Journal and um, places like that. And coverage there um, directly translates into uh, library sales. Mm-hmm. So we worked very hard to establish relationships with those with those publications, with the science fiction editors there to make sure they knew about us, our programs, what we were doing, the kind of books we were doing. And, um, you know, so we got a tremendous amount of support from the libraries uh, from, from day one. That really helped out a lot. Very interesting. Now, tell us a little bit about your more contemporary titles, the, the, the original material you, you're bringing out. Well, we always, um, you know, from day one, we always wanted to be a trade publisher of, you know, of genre fiction. And we had mixed successes with that through the course of our um, public, you know, publication history, through, through the company's history. But now we've got a full full product range, as it were, of um, hardcovers, you know, trade paperbacks, and mass market paperbacks. And it, even when we were writing to the success of the weird fiction, we kind of recognized that we couldn't keep going back to the well. There were only so many established giants whose work was not available. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people who we could go out and reprint and do multi-volume sets of, but a lot of those people had already been done or had already been done well, and we, or, you know, frankly, we didn't have a personal connection to. Um, and it's always been about the material that we have a personal connection to. So publishing the contemporary fiction you know, that we really fell in love with or that really spoke to us was, was always really high on our priority. 
you know, much more so than publishing, you know, an obscure weird weird tales author just because he was an obscure weird tales author. Mm -hmm. And so one of our first successes that we had um, trade publishing was um, on a a really big scale. Um, We worked with Jeff Andemir on the Thackeray Lamb's Head Bacon Credited Disease Guide. Mm -hmm. And that was a trade hardcover um, that, um, well, that frankly was our first, um, you know, major trade success where we sold several thousand copies um, right out the gate. They stay sold. They didn't come back. Um, and we got significant trade penetration with that. Um, you know, we got it into um, the chains, and um, that helped establish relationship with some of the buyers there. So it was, it, it was I don't know, it's been just slowly building on our successes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it started out with that and, you know, the relationship we established there. And then working with people like M. John Harrison, again, somebody who we absolutely loved, his fiction, and we thought, well, you know, there's not going to be a lot of, you know, commercial potential for this, but it, darn it, it needs to be done. And he was a contemporary writer. You know, this wasn't, uh, you know, somebody who wasn't, you know, writing anymore. And um, we had a breakout success with his collection. And we went on and um, published uh, a couple of his novels that had, or one of his novels that hadn't published in the States. The Course of the Heart, which is a fabulous novel. Yeah. And, yeah. and actually, um, this is something that, that, uh, I found very interesting. The newest, uh, the forthcoming Peter Straub novel has a very similar uh, plot line, in in which uh, 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 an act of magic committed by students back that they don't quite remember, or maybe you know, something kind of dodgy happened. Uh, this is uh, it, Peter Straub's newest. Uh, really, it's uh, you know standing on the shoulders of giants. Although I'm, Peter Straub always brings his own well, wonderful original vision to everything he does. Yeah, no, um, and Peter Straub has. Um, has always kind of acknowledged those influences. Mm-hmm. I, I Peter Straub is actually very very funny story. Funny should bring it up. Um, we were at the Jason and I, my business partner, were at the World Horror Convention in Chicago many years ago. Five, gosh, five six years ago now. And we were in a room party, and um, Peter Straub like grabbed, basically grabbed us and shook us, and was like, "You're publishing M. John Harrison." And he turned across the room and he's like, David, David Hartwell, David, why aren't you publishing M. John Harrison? Why are these guys publishing M. John Harrison? And so Peter's obviously a, a huge M. John Harrison fan, and I, I think that's one of the the joys of genre is to see those kind of interplays, those uh-huh. dialogues between between writers. And um, when I when I spoke with Del Toro, he thought about he um, Guillermo Del Toro whose latest novel, vampire novels, The Strain, he also uh, spoke about doing that. You know, the deliberate, in genre fiction, writers, there's a real um, tradition uh, of acknowledging your past uh, influences and the people whose works you've read uh, by, you know, bringing, naming characters after them. Uh, It's really, uh, I think, one of the fun things about reading genre fiction. Yeah, I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. That's what is one of the draws to it is, because it's and it's it's not just a one-way dialogue between the writer and the reader, but it's a, a multi, there's there's so many pathways between, you know, the writer and other writers, um, the reader and multiple writers. It just becomes very rich. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a very rich experience. Right, right. And I think that that's one that is genre fiction is. 
especially well suited to provide because it's you know it's what happens when you read voraciously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and widely you know voraciously and deeply mm-hmm. within a within a subject matter it allows for um just really kind of fruitful i remember the first time i read uh peter straub's story or excuse me a fritz Leiber story that was an obvious homage to um uh, uh william hope hodgson's um house house on the borderland mm. And I was in the midst of editing the Hodgson series at that time. And it was such a, a thrill to see, like, a contemporary story by Fritz Leiber of, you know, a character driving through the, the canyons of Los Angeles um, and Fritz Leiber evoking that cosmic dread and that, that you know, that massive otherworldness um, that Hodgson had, you know, been toiling at 100 years earlier. Um, and it was just that kind of like that circle, you know, staying unbroken, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of, you know, to bring Manly Weird Woman back into it. It was, you know, it was like, oh, there I am, you know, working on Hodgson, reading Fritz Leiber, who was, you know, doing an homage to Hodgson and, you know, just stuff like that. You know, when you when you stumble across it unexpectedly, just makes, you know, makes my hair stand on end. It really makes the the reading experience a lot richer when you're a reader and you've already read Lovecraft and uh, um, Philip K. Dick, say, and then you can tuck into the latest uh, Guillermo del Toro novel and see his nods to both of them. Um, I think it's really, you have that, as you say, you have the relation, as a reader, you have a relationship to the book you're reading, the books you've read before, and you can recognize the writer's relationships to the books he's that you share so there's a kind of a shared past i think that makes the the reading experience a lot more richer and fun yeah absolutely it's it's one of the reasons why i keep coming back to genre fiction because people you know there's there's people who 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 turn their nose up at genre fiction because it's quote unquote the same thing over and over um and there's genre readers who you know are very narrow in their focus but I think, like particularly a big tent genre like science fiction, it's there's such a kind of breadth and depth that it, it's really rich. It's fertile. Well, now tell us uh, what what is growing in your rich and fertile fields of science fiction now, coming forth in the next uh, few months. Well, let's see. So just in um, in March, we got out, like you said, the Mark Teppo, mm-hmm. um, the the Lightbreaker, um, which is a new. Let's see. It's a new um, urban fantasy novel. It's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't need to go into it too deeply. You, you just did a, a review of it on your website there, but it, it's an urban fantasy that um, kind of uses real, quote unquote, real magic. You mm-hmm. know, Aleister Crowley mysticism, and it, as opposed to kind of Dungeons and Dragons style magic. And so that one's really exciting. Um, it's a first novel by Mark Teppo. Um, Great packaging, by the way, because when I first saw it, I thought, well, this is yet another, you know, tour slash random house slash penguin. <laughs> so. Well, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the, what we've been, that's what we've been struggling to do for, you know, 10 years now. We've always wanted our books to sit on the shelf, um, our trade books, our contemporary fiction to sit on the shelf and look just like, you know, people expect their fiction to look. And mission accomplished. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's got to code properly. It, mm-hmm. it, getting back to briefly getting back to issues of genre, you know, when readers do go to the bookstore, you know, they are looking at the covers, they're looking at for a cover to code properly, to code to them, this is going to be 
like that other book that you read. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can put all the literary fancy, you know, covers on my books that I want, but if I put those in the science fiction section, they're not going to find the right audience. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I may have a, you know, uh, urban fantasy cover on that book, but I think it's a really sharp urban fantasy cover. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just try and, like, you know, package things appropriately. Yeah, no, I, as I say, um, it reminded me of the covers of the Weather Warden series. I thought, well, this looks, this is good. I kind of like those other books. I think I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to like this one. Right, and So, yeah, right. as you say, coding, I never heard of that, uh, heard it used that way before, but that's a perfect term. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and the other one that actually just shipped... Um, a couple weeks ago, um, right along with um, Lightbreaker, was um, Glenn Cook, um, An Empire Unacquainted with Defeat, which is a uh, short story collection by him. It's his uh, first short story collection. It's an original. And um, it's um, all stories set in the world of the Dread Empire, uh, which we're uh, doing an omnibus reprint of. So, yeah, that's that That just came out. We've got a sequel to, um, to the very first mass market paperback that we did um, by Natalie Millay. Um, that one j- actually just came out came in last week, The King's Daughter. Um, it's a sequel to uh, The Princes of the Golden Cage. That was a, that was a, a really sharp kind of uh, uh, Arabian Nights, uh, in a sense, uh, themed fantasy that, that, uh, that I thought was really well done. Right, yeah, no, that's, that's what spoke to me about it. It, was, it wasn't a you know, cookie-cutter Western European fantasy. It actually had a setting that was you know, relatively unique in a genre that is not known for its unique settings. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this one kind of follows in the footsteps of that. It's in a, it's a western, it's a, a far eastern um, slash Russian um, medieval setting, um, and features a, a, a some Baba Yaga um, myths and legends and um, various things. So she's she's really toiling in fertile ground there. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Stephen Erickson. Um, we've got one of his Mal- Malazan novellas. The Rakhine and Corbel Brooch, um, The Leaves of Laughter's End, that just shipped as well. So we've got that one out. Um, let's see. Oh, and speaking of mass market paperbacks, we had um, a bunch of several hardcovers that came out um, either last year or the year before, um, which have just shipped in mass market paperbacks. So we have uh, Elizabeth Moon Collection and uh, S.M. Sterling Collection. Um, as well as our Neil Asher novel, um, Prater Moon, um, is hitting a mass market paperback. And um, this one was really great. This one was delayed quite a bit, so I'm quite happy to have this one out. Precious Dragon by Liz Williams, the mm-hmm. Inspector Chen novel. Yes, yes. That just hit in mass market paperback. And we have the, the fourth book in the Detective Chen series, Shadow Pavilion. That just, uh, that just came out this week in hardcover. So that was one of the books that was like you know delayed last year and didn't come out, and we just got that one out. And so it's really good to get these, get a bunch of these printers, get a bunch of these books back from the printer because they've been a long time in coming. Another couple of titles, um, original novels that we have um, hitting that have been a long time in coming is um, Bar None by Tim Levin, which is kind of a um, road trip at the end of the universe um, novel um, <laughs> that is uh, really quite... Oh gosh, how do I say it? It's um, Levin it, it, is is really, I think, a good. He's kind of a, in many ways extreme uh, uh, towards the the splattery side of things, but he's really sharp as a writer. I, I well, and I I kind of feel like he's more of 
I think he's more emotionally devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he doesn't pull any emotional punches. No, no, no. And no. this this novel is kind of like a, a mediation on 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 loss and memory, um, thro- told through the metaphor of of um, beer. I mean, it's um, it's a the journey to the the it's a journey to the end of the to the last pub in the universe, and every chapter has a is named after a different ale or a different beer. And it's this protagonist and his memories of his his dead wife and these people that he's traveling with through this blasted wasteland. And it's um, it's quite brutal, but it's not brutal in that you know gory sense. It's just emotionally devastating. And Tim, this is this is actually really exciting because this project's been a long this book has been a long time in coming. This book was <laughs> this is a funny story. This this novel is the replacement for. Um, Tim, Tim's novel, Dusk, which he originally turned into us like six or seven years ago. Um, Tim Levin had been published in, this, uh, in the U.K. Um, and by Leisure Books, but we were the first one to publish him in the U.S. Um, we did his novel, Face. Or we did his novel, or his collection, As the Sun Goes Down. And then we did his novel, Face. And then we did another collection, White and Other Tales of Rune. And we had, he had pitched this dark fantasy to us, and we were like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, but this was gosh, about six or seven years ago now, and when he finally finally turned it in, it seemed a really commercial project. It was a commercial fantasy novel, and at the time he hadn't really broken out of, um, you know, I don't want to call it the horror ghetto, but, you know, he was being classified solely as a horror author, and being published by a small press like us at the time, we didn't have natural distribution, so we kind of said, you know, Tim, you should take this around to, you know, Bantam or somebody like that, they're bound to like it, and you know we think this could be a breakout book for you. And we already, you know, paid them um, and had them under contract, but we were just like, "Bass, just write us a book down the road because if you can sell this to Bantam, like we want to see you get over." And so that's exactly what happened. Um, and at Bantam Books, bought it, and Angrol bought it, and um, he's had, gosh, I guess three or four novels out from Bantam now, um, in addition to a bunch of other commercial successes. So he's really, you know, from those early beginnings where we were doing collections and novels with him, he's really become a much, you know, much bigger author. And um, so it's really exciting to be working with again on, working with him again on this novel, Bar None. Well, for me, um, Levin's really good. And I have to say, <laughs> um, I, my mailman uh, who deliver is really nice. And he brings up, you know, just packages and packages of books. So when I get like, you know, two, and sometimes I'll get, uh, Bantam will send me two or three copies of a book to, you know, slightly different versions of myself. Right, right. And so um, I, my mailman came and said, you know, I read some kind of horror and science fiction books. And I gave him uh, the uh, an extra arc I had of the latest Tim Levin novel. And he came back like three days later and he said he just absolutely loved it. He had never heard of the guy and he couldn't find any other books by him. So uh, put more Tim Levin out there. I think people are reading them and really liking them. Absolutely. He's one of those guys that um, I have the utmost respect for. He's really given his all to his writing career over the last 10 years. I've, se- I've seen such growth with his writing and such a, a, a commitment to the profession. Um, I am just, you know, really honored to be publishing him and to have worked with him because he is he's one of the great ones. He's an absolutely, you know, wonderful guy, totally nice. Um, when, my, when my wife and I 
went over to to London for our um for our honeymoon, our much delayed honeymoon. We um we ended up um going over to Wales and staying with him and his wife and and their child and it was he's just a really nice guy. So it's really great to you know, to see him getting the kind of support that he has from Bantam. And, and I actually have to admit that that uh, your books of his were among the first that I read, though I think the first ones, I very first ones I read were a bazillion years ago by some small British press. Yeah, he had, um, he, he worked with several different, he, Tang, he worked with Tangent, he worked Tangent, with, um, right, yeah. he worked with Mott, Masters of Terror. Mm-hmm. Um, he had several, you know, he had several novellas from P.S., Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's been, he's been all over the map when it comes to, you know, working with different people. He had a collection come out from Cemetery Dance, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had in later now, he's had some novellas come out from, um, Subterranean Press. Um, and, and that's kind of like what, that's what I mean. It's like when he didn't have a bunch of novels selling to, you know, Random House and big New York publishing companies. He was out there beating the bush and selling short stories to, you know, to paying markets and establishing reputation and, you know, taking chances with small press publishers. But, you know, just day in, day out, month in, month out, you know, putting out incredibly moving, passionate stories. And, you know, so, yeah, he's he's worked with a lot of people. Okay. Now, um, anything else? In the hopper that we should be looking for, I'm I'm particularly curious about Neil Asher because he's doesn't he gets kind of spotty uh, distribution here in the states, and it's really great that you've been bringing out his novellas. Well, we have we have those two originals that we've done, Prater Moon mm-hmm. and um, Shadow of, of the, the Scorpion. Scorpion. Mm-hmm. And Prater Moon just hit in mass market paperback, and we are planning on bringing Shadow of the Scorpion in mass market paperback. Um, right now, we don't have him under contract for. For any new um, material, um, but I, you know, I'm beating the bushes, and I hope to continue working with him, um, and definitely in the novel length, uh, novel length field, because he's he's just a spectacular work. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, we've got a new novel um, coming out, a first novel um, called *The Mall of Cthulhu* by uh, Cenas Cooper, and that one is a a uh, total loving homage to, um, it's kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets uh, Christopher Moore, um, mm. sprinkle, sprinkle with a bunch of Lovecraft. It's an absolutely riotous, funny uh, first novel um, that kind of features a, a barista at a, you know, a star, a, an imitation Starbucks chain who um, discovers... Um, you know, some secret information about a Cthulhu cult and their nefarious plans and um, and hijinks ensue. But that's, you know, that's a perfect example of one of those books that we read in manuscript and it just absolutely spoke to us. And we're just like, well, look, we've got to publish this because this is hilarious. Um, and, yeah, it's it's that one's um, actually shipping next week. So we've got a bunch of those books that um, either have just come out or shipping next week. And what the other thing that we have that to keep an eye out for um, is uh, Graham Joyce's How to Make Friends with Demons. Oh, Graham Joyce is always spectacular writer. Very, I think he, you know, he's he gets a lot of literary kudos, and and I think he deserves it. It's nice to, to see him hopefully get some penetration into the genre market as well. Yeah, he um this How to Make Friends with Demons was already published in the UK under a different name. It was called Memoirs of a Master's Forger by, um, and then it's the character name. 
so it's a pseudo autobiography um, in the UK, um, but over in here we're publishing under Graham's name, and um, uh, that one's going to be like you say. He he's, gets a lot of critical acclaim and hasn't had the commercial success that um, he should. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep beating down the door and try and make that happen. I've been speaking with Jeremy Lassen of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. My pleasure. Great talking with you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.